Even though, even though I taught this this first board, I said it over. But Rapam used to say over this board every year. I mean, I should say every year, but often enough he used to say it. So Rapam was my Rebbe, and I therefore want to say it over because I think it has so much depth in it. And not, I know for sure not everybody was here when I said it. And uh, if you were here, so Chazar. I'm sorry, Chazar. So I'm gonna read the pasuk. It's uh, it's based on this is Chassam Sofer. How many people remember Chassam Sofer about Avram Avinu? Do you remember it? You probably remember it. Anybody here remember Chassam Sofer? Introduction to the halacha, the the response of the Chassam Sofer of Yeridea. That does not mean that I know anything. I just know this one thing in Chassam Sofer. It does not mean that I know the Chassam Sofer lived about 250 years ago, maybe 300 years ago. At, at Massive. It wasn't 19th century? I don't think so, but maybe. That's how much I know. I don't know. He was born in the late 1700s. See, he knows everything. He's just quiet. He's Google. Dr. Google. Yeah, but the bottom line is, Chassam Sofer, no, for the record, Chassam Sofer is absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. He was, he was not Hasidish, and he was not not Hasidish. He was just, he was a chief rabbi of Czechoslovakia, Moravia, that whole part of the world. But he was just exclusively accepted by everybody. Okay, so he notices in the last week's Parsha, because these Parshas are talking about Avram Avinu, and so I want to get this thing in here. He notices something that when, when Hashem sent the angels, whoa, whoa, Baruch Hashem. When Hashem sent the, that's my friend Jeff, um, when Hashem sent the angels, the Avraham, each one had a message and a specific thing to do. And Hashem was going to go and destroy Sodom, right? Hashem was going to destroy Sodom. So if you look at the prophecies of uh, throughout, throughout the Bible and Tanakh, you'll see that usually the way prophecies worked was Hashem, it would say, Hashem said to Moshe, you should go and tell the Jewish people, or go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, right? That's, it was like Hashem says to Moshe, and then there's the message, okay? Um, let's talk about Yoshua. Hashem spoke to Yoshua and said, you should prepare, this is crazy, you should prepare the, all the Jewish people to go over the Jordan, go past the, through the Jordan River. So Hashem says to Yoshua, go pass through the Jordan River. That's the style. When it comes to Isaiah, uh, let's say Jeremiah, Yermiyot, it starts off by saying that Hashem said to Yermiyot, I knew you in your womb, because I knew what was going to be, and go say this and this and this. But you find here something very strange in the language. You can look it up. It's in uh, chapter 18. Okay, Pesachid Zion. It says, V'ashem Amar, God says, Hamachasani me'Abraham. Am I going to hide from Abraham? Asher Neo said what I'm going to do. And it's like it's a little bit of like, like apologetics. Like I, I have to tell Abraham what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the area of Sodom. Like, so the exact translation is, shall I conceal from Avram what I'm going to do? It's a, that's a del- totally different type of conversation. You, again, Hashem always, for prophecy, it's always God says, go and do this, go say this, whatever. Here, Hashem is, he is saying, to? what? But who is he talking to? He's saying, oh, Hashem, who is Hashem talking to? I guess to us. Okay. Hashem was talking to us. But doesn't Rosh say he was talking to like the angels or something? No, no, no. Not When it says over here that God said, like, how can I not tell him? Let's look at the next verse. The next verse is, after all, the Avraham and Avraham, 
He's going to be a great nation. And then it says, why, 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 why do I have to tell him? Because I know. He's going to teach his kids about monotheism. He's going to go and, and teach his whole family everything about, Jew, about, about godliness. So how can I not tell him? So the Chassam Sofer asked this question. It's unusual. It's not stylistically the way that you would expect. Like God is like defending himself, so to speak. Like not defend in a way. Like you know, how can I not tell him? Like somebody's asking him and saying, like you know, like who is Abraham? I have to tell him. You don't find that with Moshe with the burning bush, which is the first uh, written story of the revelation with Moshe. It doesn't say, you know, how do you know? Of course I, I like you know, and it, it doesn't say. And Moshe went and saw the burning bush, and Hashem said to him. Because Moshe is going to be the great leader of the Jewish people, therefore I'm telling him to go. It doesn't use that line. You understand the question? Everybody got the question? So now we're going to make the question even better. Do you remember that Abram has a daughter-in-law, Rivka? Now, Rivka gets pregnant. And we don't believe in the virgin birth. She's regularly pregnant. She doesn't know she has twins. She thinks she has a psychotic kid. She walks by Abodazara, and the kid is kicking crazy. She goes by the base medrash. The kid is kicking crazy. So she thinks she's got herself some kind of... You deal with crazy people. You don't want to deal with a crazy kid. It's a, it's a, you want a healthy child. You don't want a crazy kid. It's a psychotic kid. He does, so Rivka doesn't know what to do. Like, what is going on here? You know? So who does she go to? Does she go to her father-in-law, the great Avraham, to ask what's going on? Nope. She goes to Shem and Eber. Shem was the son of Noah. By the way, just for the record, Avraham had a relationship with Noah and with Shem. Abraham had that relationship. So he knew all about that whole marvel. It's not like it's like, for us, it's a story from 5,000 years ago. For him, it was like the story about Vietnam. Like I can talk to somebody because I remember watching the Tet Offensive on TV. You know, you don't even know what that is, but that was like one of the biggest uh, the Tet Offensives. Okay. There's nobody here that knows. I'll make up names. <laughs> I can tell you about the Bab Offensive, you know. The Tet Offensive was the biggest battle, I believe, in, in the war in Vietnam, but whatever. You know, I, we could talk about these things because we met people who had been through it. It's a different thing, right? Right? So you have something. So why, why would she not go to Avram? Wouldn't you think she'd go to Avram? So somebody's going to say over here that she doesn't want to talk to her father-in-law about the problem with the potential grandchild. That sounds like a nice answer, but that's not. Come on, Zab over here. Hello? Uber. Uh, Uber with food. Okay, we have somebody coming up because we are hungry. Thank you very much. Bye -bye. Anyway, so that's a fair question, right? I mean, a grandfather still will feel bad, but... If you want to know what's going on, you're going to go to the biggest specialist, right? If your father-in-law is the biggest heart specialist, are you going to go to him even though you feel a little uncomfortable? Or are you going to go to Booth? I'm not comparing shame to Booth. Booth is a crappy hospital down there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. God forbid. But you, you understand. By the way... Just for the record, again, to understand the story, which I'm going to weave over here. Um, Avram was born in what year? 1948. 1948. What year was the Tower of Babel? 1997. So Avram experienced the Tower of Babel also. He saw 
He saw both things. Okay. There's another thing too. If you if you remember the story, it says that that who was a greater prophet, Sarah or Abraham? Sarah. Sarah. We're not taking away from women. We all love women. This is not a gay. Oh, this I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you understand, right? Right. We're not, we're not pro-gay rights over here. But wouldn't you think that Abraham would be like a, like a greater prophet? What would, that's what you would think. You just, that's just what you would think. So Samsofer says something very interesting. Abraham, Abraham was not, contrary to popular belief, Abraham was not the first person who was holy. He wasn't. There were other people who believed in God and were great people. There was a person, Mesushelach, that the, the flood didn't happen because of him until he, after his shiva, right? Mesushelach. There, there was a person, his name was Chanoch. You remember Chanoch? Chanoch got so involved in spiritual, uh, uh, what's it called, meditation, that his body just like broke apart. It says in the, the Svar say that you know the body is composed of earth, wind, air, and fire. Remember that idea in ancient in old philosophy. He was so meditative that the body fell, it, everything just fell apart, and he became an angel. So there were people who were great. Avram looks at this, at those people, and he sees the Tower of Babel, and he spoke to Noah, and he spoke to Shem, his son, at least Shem, maybe not Noah, but I don't know, maybe he didn't meet Noah, but he certainly had a relationship with Shem. And he decided, you know what? If I go and I perfect myself, big deal. God's got plenty of angels. The world will be a corrupt, crazy world where you have Hamas and people are screaming that they love Hamas, LGBTQ for Hamas, crazy. Absolutely crazy, you know. Yeah, it's not an upside down world where the UN, where the UN can condemn Israel because, you know, of everything, whatever. It's a crazy world, so, Avram looked at it, and Avram said, you know what, the world can be totally crazy. But there'll, so there'll be a tzaddik here, one tzaddik there. That's not what God wants. He's decided that what's best for God, what's best for spirituality, is to look at the bigger picture. What's the bigger picture? To bring people close to God. So therefore, Avram decided that he's going to make soup kitchens. Right? He made soup kitchens all over. And he gave people, right? He gave people, who poor people food. And then, as we all know the measures, that when the people afterwards, they said thank you to Avram for the food. And then, what did Avram say? Don't thank me. Thank God. And then he went into the whole <coughs> business about God. So some sofa says something which is totally crazy. Not crazy, but it's something, it's in our DNA. Avram Avinu decided that it's more important to worry about the world than to worry only about himself. Spirituality should not be selfish. Selfish spirituality stinks. That's not what God wants. So Avram Avinu was not such a great prophet. Because you can't give out soup to homeless people from Mexico or from wherever, and at the same time, learn Kabbalah at that moment. You can't do it. It's just not, you, you can't. You can't help people physically, and at the same time, you, know, you just can't do it. You gotta be, if you're working to support your family, so then you can't at that exact moment be learning. Now, you'll hear stories about big tzaddikim that when they were walking, they would say, Mishnayas, I knew a, I was close to a big tzaddik, his name was the Boston Rebbe, and he would he knew Mishnayis by heart, and he would, and he had a Mishnah, a Mishnah with him all the time, and he would say it, 
Thurmishnas when he was in the car. That's not the same. You know what I mean? You're not gonna. That's you. You can't. You can't. So Avravina was not the greatest Makubal. That's why it said. That's why she went to the shame, because shame was separated. He wasn't doing what Avram was doing. Avram's avoda, his way he looked at the world. I once saw in National Geographic a picture of a nun in the Himalayas, and she had a pile of rice, and she was meditating all day. She would take the rice, one, one grain at a time, and put it from one pile to the other pile, you know, at one grain of rice at a time. And the National Geographic thought that it was like extolling this, this virtue of meditation. It was like amazing. And I'm saying to myself, we would look at that as being missing the boat. Not that meditation is not important. Not that there's not a place for meditation. But a great tzaddik is Avramavinu, who's running around, you know, like the, the famous uh, explanation of Noah Weinberg. Uh, according to May, you brought this up. Avram was talking to God when the three when he saw the three angels, right? Mm-hmm. That's Avram's talking to God. I said this last week, and it was a little bit crass, but we're gonna just do it again because because that's what we're gonna do. Avram, you know, is how old when the bris takes place? He's ninety nine. How many people think it hurts to have a bris at ninety nine? <laughs> we're not talking about a little pinprick. We're talking about taking the entire foreskin and cutting it off at 99 without, I don't think they had it's anesthesia. Like a, it's like with a rock, no? With a rock. Anybody here think it tickles? I don't think so. <laughs> how, do you, how hard? Do you think it hurts? Do you think it hurts? Okay. Now, let's take it a step further. It says in the Medrash that it was a hot day. What happens when it's a hot day? Shloima, what happens? Sweat. Sweat. What happens if there's sweat over there? It burns. It burns. Okay. Now, let's take it a step further. You see three people who are Arabs, right? That, that's what the Medjish said. They were not, they weren't from, well, they were no Jews anyway, but they were nomads according to the, the Medjish. One was a nomad, a sailor, whatever. Do you think it's comfortable to run after you have a circumcision and you're 99 years old? Running? Anybody ever have a little irritation in that part of the body? Well, I can tell you that it is uncomfortable. I don't think running is an easy thing to do, but he's running. Now, and what's he running? He's running when he's having, according to the, one of the two explanations, when he's in the middle of having a prophecy with God. What could be greater than having a prophecy with God? Even an atheist would say that if, it were, that if a person is having a, a, uh, you know, a revelation, with a conversation with God, there's nothing greater than that. And what does he do? He says, hang on, you know, hang on. God said, you know, I have to go take care of these three nomads. Invite them into my house. So Reb Nochlan used to say, because there's only one thing that's greater than talking, than speaking to God, and that's being like God, being God-like. So Avram was not. He wasn't the greatest prophet. He wasn't. But that's who we emulate. That's, that's who we follow. That's our whole lives. We are not people that say that the highest level of spirituality is removal from, from the society and meditate and whatever. We say being active in the society. Um, so for a pitch, Wednesday night we're making tzitzis for Israeli soldiers. We have 100, just to give perspective, we have 140 pairs of tzitzis. We have 79 people who are coming to make one pair of tzitzis. Okay. Uh, we have 50 pairs above that that were sponsored by people who can't make tzitzis, like somebody broke his arm. 
he can't make scissors. Uh, some women. So whatever, we have 50 on top. But we still need to get more people down. It's very interesting. Some people can't come because they can't come. They don't want to come because they don't know how to make scissors. But we're going to teach everybody how to make scissors. It's not that hard once you know how to do it. It's your father that knows how to do it. My dad knows. Yeah. So if people once you know how to do it, it's not that hard. But it takes about forty minutes to make a pair. I think. Whatever. So if anybody wants to give up their time a little bit, come on down. Well, you can. Uh, what? That's how quickly you can do it. Some people are faster than others. We're going to be doing the Ashkenaz style. The Ashkenaz is the simplest. If you want to get complicated, then you do the Arid. This is much more complicated, and it'll mess you up. So we're not doing this. Not because it's not holy, but it's just more difficult. If you want to do it, do it. If your father wants to do. Uh, Yemenite style. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, it's all good. You want to hear something really sweet? I'll tell you, there's a guy in Hashivena. His name is Danny, 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 uh, Danny, Danny, Danny Baruch. Danny Baruch. So I called him up today and I asked him if he wants to join us. Because I've been calling everybody up, right? I called you up. I'm calling everybody up. To see if I called you up, you know, that's what we're doing. No, you actually, you called me. But, um, sorry about that. <laughs> everybody knows, no, everybody knows, no, Charlie, maybe. Yosef Menachem, Charlie. He just got married. So, this guy, Danny Baruch, I called Danny Baruch up. I said, you want to come make scissors? So, he says, uh, great idea. And then he says to me that he's connected with a brigade in Israel. I didn't ask him how, but some family member must be in it or something. And there's 80 soldiers in this specific brigade. And he bought them watches and whatever they needed. He's been taking care of this one brigade. Okay? He's a, he has a business and he's able to get them. Yeah. So he said to me, like, would we send the tzitzes that we're making to that brigade. I said, I don't care. You know, but I said, well, but just, I said, call up first and find out how many pairs they need. Uh, right? Reasonable thing. He called me back and he says he spoke to the commander and every soldier has a pair of scissors. They're all into it. They're really yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. They're not religious, but they're wearing the scissors. Yeah. You know, because there's been a number of stories where the scissors protected yeah. the people. Yeah. You know, and you know, first of all, all Jewish people are holy, good Jews, good people. But also, you know what I mean? You're going to wear tzitzis because... Okay, so I, I want to talk here about the issue of Hachanatis Orphan. I, I saw this in a sefer, and it's so true. Avram is known for Hachanatis Orchem, right? Having guests. Having guests is an amazing thing. I want to tell you in my family what we did, and then I'm—I mean—and then I'm going to tell you. We're going to go over a little bit about this plane. We have guests. I'm married 38, 39 years. That sounds like a freaking long time. Thirty-nine years. It was like yesterday that I got married to my wonderful, beautiful wife. <laughs> and uh, I always we always had guests. I mean, the day after I got married, Mechavrusa. Yeah, I probably like got married on a Wednesday night. Thursday morning, he was in my in my house. He wanted breakfast. I had a little unusual. That's a little bit, a little much, a little bit much. Okay, so but we had guests all the time. I guess all the time, but sometimes guests can make you crazy. You know, you have an obligation to have guests and to help people out. But guests have the obligation to be normal. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's, it's a two-way two street. You would think so. Right? You would think so. There were two times that we had to get rid of somebody. There were these two, there were two different men at different times over the last, all these years, 39 years. 
that we felt that there was like it wasn't uh, it was this was not going to be a good thing for them to be in the house. One kid was playing with my son at the time. I think it was Avi on the floor <coughs> in a weird way. Nothing happened, but it was just like you know it just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? It just didn't feel right. So I, my wife and I, we spoke about it, and we 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 told all the guests that I was feeling ill. And that uh, they should go home because I'm not helping. I'm not doing anything. But we told all the guests to come back except for Bob. <laughs> and Bob didn't come back. And Bob was never invited back again. There, there are things that a guest, a guest, has to be reasonable, you know, you know, guests have to be whatever. So we had a policy, though. So I, I wanted to make sure that my family, I'm saying this because I think people have to make policies. <coughs> Here I am, I want to have my house open, like I had a good friend in Yerushalayim, Mordechai Mafas, maybe some of you people knew him and knew his family. The guy had, I mean, any, how many people knew or heard of Rabbi Mordechai Mafas? The first time I was in Jerusalem and I was working at the Kotel to get people to go for Shabbos and Avram, uh, Mayor Schuster, who was a big Sadiq that used to do this, he gave me a, a group of, I don't know, 40 people. He said, bring them to this person, Rabbi Machus, in a place called Arzeabir. And I just thought that he was going to divide these 40 people by, like, 40 families. I, I bring them to the house. And he had all of them. And he had crackpots. He had crazy people real crazy people and healthy people because his heart and his wife's heart were so big that they could handle it. My heart's not that big. You know, I can't handle real I can't handle crazy. But I can handle a little crazy. Everybody's got their level of what crazy means. Yeah, everybody's got their level of what crazy means. So the deal of my house is we made this and we live by it even till this day. That let's say I want to invite He's my cousin, my wife's cousin. So I'm going to use him as an example because he comes to my house and he's a relative. So I can use your example. Hey, Bob. Adam wants to come to our house. And all of a sudden, my son says, I don't want him. Why don't you want him? Because once one of the kids doesn't want somebody, not on a given week, I'm talking about, like, you know, I don't want the person, male or female, or a couple, whatever. Why not? Yeah. And if it's a reason which seems whatever reasonable, even if it means I just I, I just can't. So then we don't. Then we don't because we always wanted it to be that we'll be able to maintain having guests. And if you don't figure some way, if you don't figure some way of including the family in the guest process. At some point, they're just going to buckle. And they're going to say, okay, dad's with another crazy guy. <laughs> you know, I don't want to eat at the table because they all eat with their mouths open and I can't be there. I'm going to vomit. You, you understand? You can't. And that becomes a problem. What if other guests are uncomfortable? If other guests are uncomfortable? I, I don't know. I, the guests would be more uncomfortable than the kids? Tell me, give me an example. Why would that I be? I have no idea. Well, if, everybody, if there's a guest that's making all the other guests uncomfortable, so at some point I would say that we just wouldn't invite that guest. Again, it has to be some rationale to this. You know? Yes. So I saw this halakha, I saw it, and I found this to be very interesting. It's something that I know I have to work on sometimes. Okay? Sometimes a guest does something wrong. They do something wrong. So we have to be really careful and work on the nusoyon of not to get it into our system to not want guests again. I had this guy came to our house. And he decided that, I mean, it's a fair question. I mean. To be fair, it's a very fair question. 
But there's a difference in life between having a question and actualizing the question. He decided, you know, you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos, right? If there's no A reveal, you're not allowed to carry. Most of us grew up, I didn't, I grew up in Connecticut where there was no Arab. So for my whole life until I moved to Queens, when I was 26, until I was 26, I couldn't carry on Shabbos. At 26, I moved here and we could carry all day long. Every day, it's like, it's like a, it's so pleasurable. You know, now it's hard for me to experience not carrying on Shabbos. Anyway, so this guy came up with this idea. If you flush the toilet, you're carrying the material in the toilet from here to the, to the river. And that is obviously not allowed. So, but there are other issues if you don't flush. No, you're thinking in a different way. You're thinking, no, because what you're thinking is, the, you're, you're thinking about, but Halakha would say, if it would be true that's not, that, that you're prohibited to carry in the pipes, if that would be true, then it wouldn't matter if it's something which is just not so nice. So he decided he's not flushing toilets. No. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, no. okay, that's what he decided to do. So and he told you. And he oh told no, there's more than that. He would go to people's houses on Shabbos, and I set him up with the nicest houses. And I didn't know. What am I supposed to know? Did I ever, ever talk to you guys and say, "Do you flush the toilet or something?" What gives you permission to flush the toilet? You're carrying from Rishu Sayyid. The toilet is Rishu Sayyid. in your house, and it's going through the streets, and it's going straight over out there to the Hudson River. Or whatever, the East River. It doesn't go to the East River, it goes to the, uh, the sewage department or whatever. I don't know what it does, but it goes somewhere, right? So, you know. He doesn't use a sink at all or anything? No. It wasn't a bad, I gotta tell you, to be fair, it's not a bad question. It's a very fair question. It's a very fair question. There's an, there's an easy answer, but he didn't know the answer. Now, first of all, what you were talking about, what you were talking about is that when you live in a religious community, you don't always know the answers to everything, but you do know how people live. And that's a value of either living in a, Jew, in a religious community, or in a, if you would just read books, you might come to that conclusion that you can't flush toilets. Or as one other genius that I had, he was staying by a house that was the, at the time it was the mansion of Kew Garden Hills. He there, were, there was no more toilet paper. Okay, there was no, it happens sometimes with toilet paper, you know, either tissues or toilet, there was none. So what do you do when there's no more toilet paper? What do you do? What does everybody do? No, you just take the entire roll and you put it into the toilet and then you just have the water going out and then you ruin everybody's ceiling and you ruin the, in the mansion because you don't rip toilet paper. Now, the reason that you're saying, of course, you rip the toilet paper is because again, or he said, is because again, you, you, were you either you were raised in a religious family or you went to a religious environment, and that's what it means. That when you that that the experiential part of religion teaches you more than just the book part, because you know, I know I was close <coughs> to the bust in the Rebbe, so I saw things that are, that from the Rebbe. So you can't tell me things that because I know, I know you know what I mean. I just know that that's crazy. I know it's crazy because I was by the bus in the Rebbe and he washed his hands and the water went in the sink and he was a big Makubal. You know what I mean? So I know that that's crazy. Otherwise you wouldn't know it's crazy. But you have to ask. The reason it's mutter, by the way, the reason it's mutter is because if you remember, or if you didn't remember, I'll tell you, there are this thing called the Makopitur, which is a an area which is not a private domain. 
are taught, the pipes are considered a makam pitur, where you're allowed to carry. You don't carry physically in a pipe because, you know, the, we don't live in the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> but if you did live in the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you would be allowed to carry your whatever in the pipes because that's called the makam pitur. So therefore, that's the reason that you're allowed to flush. If that would not be the case, then you couldn't flush. But anyway, the meantime, this guy made so much trouble for me. The whole house stunk. People didn't want to have guests anymore, right? So it's in the silence. So the next time the guy calls me out, well, the guy with the, with the toilet the, the, with the toilet paper, that made trouble. They never took guests again. They never took guests again. They ruined, the whole, they, he ruined all, everything. It was, it was unbelievable. It's a Nisayan there for to sit back and say, you know what, we're going to have more guests. We're going to do this. We're going to keep on doing it. It's a Nisayan when people, when you get messed up. It's something. A, what? I had actually, uh, it was uh, one of my older brothers. You did? You, you did uh, that? Okay. <laughs> I had my, my older brothers, but we had a non-religious um, cousin or whatever. Someone staying at our house. And I remember the person got out of the bathroom. I was like walking the hallway with my grandmother. And like the, the, the non religious family member goes to my grandmother asking if she was allowed to flush the toilet on the Shabbat. Yeah, no, I'm that was very respectful. No, respectful is fine. I remember I made a joke with somebody once. This is the early years of Hashivenu Lin. And we're going back 30 years ago when I had a lot of non religious Jews that we used to come. And one I just. The guy was staying. The guy was staying by somebody's house, and the guy in the house, the balabadi, the, the 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 man of the house, he wasn't. He just he was a funny guy, and he just said, you know, on Shabbos you can't do anything. You can't rip, you can't rip paper, and you can't put on the lights. You can't even go to the bathroom. He wasn't being serious. So the guy took it seriously, and I remember this guy came over to me. It was Mincha. And he said, he said to me, Rabbi, I have to, I have to break this out. I said to him, you know, don't look so sorry. So I said, you know, you need a cigarette that badly. I didn't know. I, I thought he was going to cigarettes. I said, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> go to the bathroom. But, you know, but there's a way of, of being nice about it. But when you're not, when you don't do like that, and then you have this guest that comes and makes all sorts of trouble, sometimes, sometimes there's a Nisayan the next week to, you know, to have a guest. Or let's say they make a mess in the apartment. They just make a mess. But we found something interesting. Just um, as they say in, in, in Talmudic language, Agaburcha, which means it has nothing to do with anything. But the shocking thing we always found was that the, the guys, when they sleep over, single guys, made less of a mess than single girls. I always thought it would be the opposite. But every, and every, I spoke to other people. The girls come, they got hair all over, whatever it might be. It's much more, much more things. The guys really come with, they don't even necessarily come with underwear. You know, they just go to sleep. But it's a Nisayim. It's yeah, a Nisayim. Uh, by the way, we don't, I don't let people, just for the record, because of the change in the world, if Adam, or anybody here, I'm just looking at Adam says to me, I, I know a nice guy, and I know him really well. Will you, can you sleep over by somebody's house? So I will say, okay, there's two. I need two things. I need a referral from somebody I trust, really trust, and I need to meet the person for sleeping over, because we live in a crazy world. Like it, it, it's not a world of trust anymore. I will not. If if somebody calls me up, I know that there's organizations that just allow you know like Shabbos.com. There's organizations that will let will just set people up. I won't do that. Not for sleeping. For eating, it's enough for just a recommendation, you know, if I know the person who's referring. But for sleep, I won't do it, you know. I'm just saying you know, that, that, that halacha was an interesting thing, not to, 
to make sure that you don't you don't fall into that category of of not wanting guests anymore because of some nonsense that took place. Rabbi, what do you do with uh, uninvited guests? Comes to your house, just shows up. What does that mean? For example, my, my parents' house, Rosh Hashanah night, <clears throat> my patient showed up to their house. What do you mean the patient? Literally, a guy I work with, have sessions with, he said, I Googled your house, he came right over, he once said, I want to spend Rosh Hashanah at your house. My parents didn't know he was a patient, they brought him right in. So now, so let me ask you a question, because I once had one of the rules of the halacha of being a guest. If you open up the uh, Shulchan Aruch, the big Shulchan Aruch, there's a section called the halachas of of Zarkin, and there's also the section of being a guest. And one of the halachas of being a guest is that you're not allowed to bring somebody to somebody's house without asking them. All of a sudden, you're coming to my house to Shabbos, and you bring along, Bob, bringing them along. I don't know about it. You don't have to do that. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Okay? So now, this person, was he normal or not normal? Uh, Semi-normal. So, so <laughs> I had, no. So, right. So I had a situation where there was a guy who I knew was crazy. When I say crazy, I don't mean, I don't mean uh, certifiably crazy. I mean the language that the world would say is crazy. He's crazy. And uh, some of the, somebody by my, who was there for Shabbos decided that they wanted to bring this guy to my house. This guy walked around on Shabbos. He walked around all week with a Superman costume. Mm-hmm. Your friend. Yeah, he's friend. No, no, no. Anyway, he's not around. I couldn't have him. I couldn't have him in my house. I couldn't have him. Maybe, I, I'm not saying I'm the biggest tzaddik. Mordechai Machlis would have had him. I couldn't have him because it would have affected other things. It would have counterbalanced other things. I can't. You understand, there's a balance. Everything is a balance. So I gave him food, it was, and I, I told him that, no. I'm not saying it's necessarily correct. You have to know. You've got to know how crazy is there going to be a big fight between Superman and my mother at the table, or my daughter, or my wife, yeah. or me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Break out the kryptonite. Yeah, got the kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I mean? You got to put that all into perspective. No, it's all part of the perspective. I'll give you an example. I mean, I'll tell you something which is, it's, you're not going to find this easily in the books, but I mean, it's there. There's a mitzvah, a kibbutz of the aim is the biggest, is, is the hardest mitzvah to perform. Kibbutz of the aim is the hardest mitzvah to perform. And if anybody here doesn't believe that, that's only because they're an orphan. Because there's no doubt for anybody to, to do it and it's 100%. I'm not talking about just being a good son. I'm talking about, Allah says that if your mother says to you, don't go to Broadway, because I heard that there's bad things in Broadway, so according to the strict Allah, you're not allowed to go to Broadway. I mean, yeah, we're, not, we're not so Americans. We're not keep it up aim, you know, like the Svartim kissed their father before Shabbos. They kissed the hand, right? You guys do Kiss my father's hand. I mean, I, I, I wish I, I, I mean, my father's not alive, but sometimes we get a little bit um, emotional discussions. You know what I mean? It means fighting. You know what I mean? So it's hard. Keep that name was very, very, very difficult. So I'm not saying I'm right, but sometimes. You don't. If if the situation warrants it, you so you don't go to Yontif to your father's house, or your mother-in-law's house, if you're gonna have big fights, because that's also keep it up aim not to have fights. You know what I mean? You gotta you gotta really think it out. It's not monolithic. You gotta figure out the purpose is shalom. The purpose is to have guests in the long term. If you're going to have this crackpot in your house and nobody's going to want to have guests again, 
because of the of what you're going to have. And it's going to take you a, six months to get out to get that out of your head that nobody wants anybody anymore. So then maybe it's not the maybe you know what I mean. Let them find some other house. You hear what I'm saying? You have to you have to put that in. It's not it's not a clear. You got to see the larger picture. It's the bigger picture. You got to worry about the small picture, but there's a bigger picture. Do you hear that? Am I being? Does that sound a little bit rough? Honestly, do I sound like I'm being a little rough on it? I know bigger tzaddik would say like everybody should be open. Avram was open to everybody. That's what it seems like. But you got to know where you are. You got to know where you are. Yeah. So I heard last week that Sarah had her own tent. Okay. So there was a place. So yes, Avram took in everybody. However, Avram also had the, the private area for his family. I never heard that, but I believe you. That makes sense. I'm saying I never heard that. But that also makes sense. To have a private area, that's also an issue which comes up about family space and, and public space, you know. We talk about that at some point, uh, which is how do you... Uh, uh, that's why Abraham was, Sarah was out of the room when the angels told her. Uh, really? It's an interesting point. You have to figure a way to balance family with community responsibilities. There's a beautiful story. I'm just going to end with... I want to tell you one thing from the Chavetz Chaim because I thought it was so nice. And uh, I'm going to tell you about the famous story with Rav Moshe about, about communal responsibility versus family responsibility since we just touched on it. So the Chavetz Chaim was known that when he had a guest, when he would have guests, he would say, Shalom Aleichem. After, after, after the food, we say shalom before. He would say it after, because he would say the angels aren't hungry, <laughs> but the people are. Wow, that's what he would say. He would have so there's a famous story with the, with the, with Reb Moshe. The story was told over by his son, Reuven Feinstein, who's still alive. Right, Reb David passed. Ruben's still alive. So one day, Pesach Kron, he came through Pesach Kron, who was a, a very nice rob and a famous uh, moil in Kew Gardens. And somebody, uh, Re, Re, Pesach Kron, asked Ruben Feinstein, how did your father, the great Ramosha Feinstein, how did he balance communal responsibility and family obligation. How do you do? How do you do that? It's not a little thing. It's not a little thing. You know, just look at all the politicians. They screw it all up. You know, but how, how do you how do you deal with it? So he said that once there was one time where he where Ramosha's grandson was having a bar mitzvah the same day. That Ramosha was asked to go to the to be the primary speaker in the Aguda convention. So that's conflict, right? Your grandson or great grandson's bar mitzvah, maybe it's the great grandson's bar mitzvah, the same day as being the primary, the, the main speaker. Conflict, right? So Pesach Kron asked, what did you do? So he said that Ramosha uh, went away to the Aguda convention on Shabbos. And on Thursday, they made the, they made the bar mitzvah. So Pesach Kron said, how did you feel about it? And so Ruvain said, it didn't bother us because we knew that, that Ramosha loved, uh, he, we knew that, I knew that my father loved me. So if, the fa if, if you know that your father loves you, then all these things don't matter so much, you know? So Pesach Kron asked, the obvious thing you know, as a storyteller, how did you know your father loved you? So he said, I'll tell you three things. And they're so nice. He said, number one, Ramosha lived in the tenement, tenement buildings in the Lower East Side. And he said that Ramosha used to get up at midnight, used to sleep, I think, from like, like nine until one in the morning or something like that. And then he'd wake up like one in the morning 
and he would learn until Shachris. Okay? He said that in the winter, Rav Moshe would stop his learning and take the clothing that the little boys will hear, two, two sons, the clothing that they would wear and put the clothing on the radiators so that the clothing would be nice and toasty warm. And then he would stop his learning and dress them under the blankets so they would be warm. That was story number one. And we're talking about the Gadol Hador, that every moment was precious for him. But he, he, he wanted to keep his little limb under the blankets, you know, with the, with the radiator. Number two, he said, was, and this is also very fascinating because we live in a world of extremities. He said that he would go away in the summer, the Rav Moshe and the family would go away for a short pe- a period of time to a bungalow colony in Connecticut. And when the hay truck, they used to, what they would do is they'd take a pickup truck and put hay in it, and they'd give the kids hay rides every day. You know? So when the hay ride would come, he said, if I was learning with my, grand- my father, my father, Ramosha would say, close the Gemara, go play. We know so many rabbis, so many people that would say, that's a waste of time. What are you doing going on a stupid hay truck? You have to learn Torah. And Ramosha didn't do that. Ramosha said, go and play. The third thing was he said that no matter who came to my house, unless there was something very, very unusual, I always had my seat. My seat was my special seat. And nobody just took it because the rabbi came or the guest from Argentina, who I've never seen, I'll never see again, is in my seat. Again, there might have been exceptions, but that was, that was the, uh, the primary thing, that the person, that the Ramosha made them feel that they were loved. Anyway, that's the deal. I'd like to make Kaddish. Yeah, we got to see Kaddish. How many people here did not daven Milo? Uh, do we? Uh, how are we doing? How many people did not daven Milo? Yeah, one, two, three, four, five. Is that a hand? <laughs> baby, that's six. Okay, seven maybe. Okay, okay. So can I ask a favor? Let's eat. Get the food out. And can we daven Milo upstairs? Would that be okay? Should I say Kaddish now? We did learn. I could say that. That's a good thing to do anyway. It wouldn't bother anybody. Let me say Kaddish anyway. Why are you getting the food out?